The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome back to Just Love. This is the Independence Day weekend show, and uh, I hope everybody is going to enjoy maybe a little bit extra time off, some time with family. Maybe a little bit of reflection on the roots of our country. Our first guest in a few minutes, we're going to talk about the Bill of Rights and a few other things. And um, Tom, you have any specific um, Fourth of July plans uh, for myself, Monsieur? I, I, I mean, we're going to go, and I'm, I'm going to go over to the uh, East River, and I'm going to go watch the fireworks. I, I do that every every year months a year because you know it's really it's a it's it's really a very nice show and there's a really there's a park by my house that kind of is set up high so you have a pretty good view you got to look around um you have to wind up looking around the corner a little bit but other than that it's got a really good view so that's really ultimately it and i'm probably going to go to a barbecue over the weekend that's what i mean um is it crowded where you go oh packed okay (laughs) you got to get there very early and uh uh, you know, and then if you want to get it all of you. So, yes, it's it's really packed. And then you have to be prepared to wait to leave because there's there's only two small exits from the park. So you got to wait a long time to wind up getting out. <laughs> did you go last year? I did. I did. So how how are the crowds, um, you know, given COVID and that and social distancing and stuff like that? I was really surprised. I mean, frankly, because, you know, like when I when I went you know, and we were still at the height of COVID then, right? And then it just was, you know, so I had a mask that I put around my neck, but we were outside um, and it got really crowded. And I saw most people were just sort of like hanging out and and stuff. And, and, uh, but I was surprised it was, it was, it was packed Monsieur. It was like, you know, I wouldn't say it was like so jammed you couldn't move, but there were definitely people all around you. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So a lot of people, so as as I kind of, was, um, you know, I heard them talk about how many people they are expecting in Washington, D.C. at the National, at the National Mall. And kind of their estimates was a very, very large crowd. But they are estimating that it's probably not quite back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. But okay. that, it is, that it is back. So anyway, that's what's that's what's there. Um, the um, so uh, as we kind of enter into this, let's go to our our first guest. Our first guest is Tony Williams, who is senior teaching fellow and author at the Bill of Rights Institute. Uh, I can't think of a better guest for us to have on this Fourth of July weekend. Uh, Tony Williams, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Um, okay, Tony, I think you may have to unmute with star six so that we can hear you. All right. Um, Tom, so, um, you know, let's see if we can, uh, get, get Tony. This is a very important weekend. And, you know, as Tom pointed out, um, one, we talked about fireworks and we talked about a lot of those things and, there, uh, there are thousands of fireworks displays, and uh, people usually quote um, the uh, quote um, John Adams, who talked about the importance of the Fourth of July. That 
for years to come. There will be, um, the nation will celebrate with fireworks displays and all of those type of things. And certainly that part of the prediction was, uh, was right. Um, I know myself, I like looking at the fireworks. I have to say, though, in recent years, I haven't been all that uh, excited about the crowds that are attracted there. So if I can go to a fireworks display, which, you know, maybe they're not the most spectacular, but there are less, there are fewer crowds. That's kind of the stuff that uh, I like because it, it can get in some of the areas, particularly in New York, it can get very, very challenging as uh, as there are lots and lots of crowds that are that are there. But I think it's a I think it's a good good thing, and certainly I like um, barbecues on the Fourth of July weekend. I think it's good. I mean, I think it is good that we stop pause. I know that even in our church, we will do a hymn. Um, you know, we'll, we'll pray America, the beautiful. And, you know, for a while I was always just said, well, you know, it's a religious ceremony. Should we do a patriotic hymn there? But then when I began to look at the words, the words of those hymn, that hymn is also uh, a prayer. You know, it's basically asking that God bless America. And there is the admission, you know, may God right those wrongs that are, that are there. So, more and more in recent years, I think it's very, very appropriate that we ask God's blessing this day and to incorporate that into our Eucharist on the Fourth of July, on the Fourth of July weekend. So anyway, so I think it is a good weekend, and I'm glad we're going to have the opportunity to speak with uh, our guest. I think we, hopefully, we have uh, Tony Williams back, and uh, he's he's with us. Uh, Tony, are you with us? Yes, I am, on senior. Can you hear me now? I can hear you perfect. What Excellent. A, what Excellent. a mellifluous voice that is. It's <laughs> worth waiting for. So um, anyway, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us as we're, you know, on the 4th of July weekend is on top of us. Let's go give a little, I mean, I think our listeners know what the Bill of Rights is, but Give us a little bit. What's the Bill of Rights Institute about where you are a senior teaching fellow and author? What's that about? Right. Uh, The Bill of Rights Institute is in Arlington, Virginia, and we're a national civics uh, nonprofit organization. And we produce curricula, which I do a lot of writing and research for. And then we go around the country and teach it to teachers, teach these founding principles and civic virtues and history and civics to teachers. And uh, we also do a lot of programs virtually, and, and we have a, a vibrant website with tons of free resources made available by our donors to all the teachers or even citizens listening out there. Ah, okay. Um, how long have you been doing that, doing this? Uh, I've, I've been with BRI for eight years. I was a high school teacher for 15 and, and an author. Uh, so, yeah, I've always been involved in education my entire adult life. So what's the favorite, your favorite article or book that you've written? Uh, I, I really love my Washington and Hamilton book on uh, the Alliance that Forged America. I wrote it with my, my friend Steve Knott at the Naval War College, and it, it's just a great dramatic story of this friendship and, and how important it was to the founding in, in the American Revolution, the creation of the Constitution, the, and then, of course, governing the new nation. So Washington and Hamilton 
uh, among my many books is, is what I'm most proud of. So, um, so let me ask you, because uh, I usually do try to read one history book a year. Um, and some of those are the American uh, Revolution. I, I've read some books there. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and so I've read a little bit about Washington and Hamilton. Am I picking up the right thing that neither of them would have been called, you know, Mr. Congeniality for their personalities? Have I picked that up between the lines? No, I I think you're right. You know, Washington was, uh, you know, purposely playing a role as sort of the father of his country. He was quite reserved, um, maybe not the guy cracking jokes at at a dinner party. Uh, Mm -hmm. He was somewhat aloof, but but he was playing that role. It was was necessary, I think. He was that great man of virtue, that Roman statesman, sort of above, if you will. Hamilton was just the smartest guy in the room, but the problem is he always let everyone know it. (laughs) uh, Not not always very congenial uh, in, in sort of contentious debate, uh, but, but a very important care, uh, really the most important relationship of the founding, we argue. Ah, that, um, well, so that, that oh, I'm, I'm delighted with that. I also say um, you've, um, you've also written, um, you know, the, the most important and noteworthy book on Hamilton American biography. I know there's another minor one that a guy by the name of Chernoff <laughs> wrote, but uh, but I'm glad you wrote the definitive work on him. <laughs> well, yeah, he gets all the all the attention, I guess. But uh, no, that was a great book because you know I wanted to dial in on on Hamilton specifically and and his American ideals, his principles as as an immigrant, as someone who had you know entered his adopted country. And, and fought for those ideals in the Revolutionary War and then helped to build a country, build an economy. He doesn't really have a national monument, but as they say about other important statesmen, if you want to see his monument, just look around you uh, because, uh, you know, the whole economy. I mean, I might, and, and you know, I might argue that that his monument might be the Federal Reserve. Hmm. Right, yeah. for good or for ill, right? right I know right, that's a right. contentious <laughs> issue today. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, but but he did establish a national banking system, and yeah. you know we got something very different necessarily uh, with with Woodrow Wilson in, in 1916. Uh, but you know the idea of having sort of a, a you know nationally guided economy is certainly a brainchild of, of Hamilton. Yeah. So what's going on with the Bill of Rights this Fourth of July? Is it doing well? Doing We're, bad? Or what's going on? Well, uh, I would say that I, I think, uh, by and large, we're, we're doing okay. You're getting a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of contention, especially over these recent Supreme Court decisions and the exact kind of nature of our constitutional order. Um, and but I, I, you know, I think it's always a good time to maybe have some calm, maybe have some deliberation, maybe talk over the fence with your neighbor, have that proverbial beer or coffee with your neighbor and, and to talk about these things as citizens and, you know, restore that conversation, restore some civility so that we can talk about how these rights, how this framework of government, how, you know, the, the American founding and its principles unite us as Americans, even as we may disagree over policies and Supreme Court decisions and all that. I, I think that doing that will help restore 
some civility to our country because we really are deeply divided and, and maybe that's nothing new historically, uh, but I, I just don't see it as being very healthy right now the way we're not talking to each other and just yeah. screaming at each other. You know? So, so let me, let me, I know you, you mentioned you taught middle school and high school for a fair number of years. So let me, let me ask uh, kind of an impertinent question that yeah. you're a junior in high school says, Hey, Mr. Williams, you got to study in this bill of rights things, which is 200 years old. How's this got anything to do with, you know, my, my iPhone and how's this got anything to do with how I live in the 21st? Don't we need something new? I mean, it's, it's old. They didn't know what we're going through. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I do try to see them that, you know, in, in their understanding of human nature, uh, you know, in, in, in building a framework of government, they took human nature, which is unchanging, which is immutable. Uh, and so it really, they really built a, a new order, a constitution for the ages, right? So it, it is relevant. And, and I know I had students who were a little skeptical, but I think with a good mix of storytelling and really actually explaining those principles and why they're important and showing them the documents, the primary sources and having them read them for themselves, however difficult that is at times, uh, you walk them through it. And, you know, I had a lot of students say, you know, I was patriotic and I loved America, but I never really understood it. And then after taking your class, you know, I really understood why I should be a patriot and why I do love America. So, um, you know, I had a lot of students who said, you know, maybe they got D's and they said, oh, I wasn't really interested in history and I'm not really now, but I really enjoyed your class and uh, I know more about America now. So, so that was at least good to hear. Oh, that's good. So let me let me test something out on you, because um, oftentimes I think the Bill of Rights is portrayed as this kind of very lofty, um, maybe even aspirational uh, set of principles and 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 human rights. It's, you know, in just a, a magnificent document. And then. I've heard a couple of other conversations which says, let's let's calm down a little bit. These are basically kind of the articles of peace and tolerance, which is the only way a diverse people can kind of get along without, you know, killing each other by agreeing on this basic minimum. Um, What's your thoughts on both of those kind of maybe differing perspectives on the Bill of Rights? Well, you know, I, I think that those those lofty aspirational goals are, are very important. I think they are still relevant today. I mean, we're, we are still relevant. Uh, we are still interested in, in the ideals of justice and, and in governing ourselves and, and our basic rights. You know, I think as Americans, there's still that basic sense that you know, people may not know a lot about the, what the Bill of Rights actually says or the Constitution at times, but they just have just an instinctive love of rights. And, and I think that's good. And I think it's healthy. Uh, and, and that natural rights kind of republicanism is the basis on which America was founded. OK, but the other part of that is, I think, understanding how important civil society is. Right. We, we have our, our individualism, our individual rights, but it's not licensed. Right. If we are going to come together in civil society, we need to also exercise some real important virtues, which are, are still relevant today. They may be classical or Aristotelian and kind of fancy words for them. But, you know, things like prudence, 
things like moderation, things like respect, having courage and perseverance, uh, and really just sort of understanding that amity and brotherly affection that, that we're in this together. Uh, and, you know, I think it's at, like, for example, at the heart of, you know, a lot of Madison's work uh, on the Constitution, its ratification, the Bill of Rights, you know, Madison rarely sort of got what he wanted, but he continually reached out to the other side and was willing to compromise for the larger goals uh, and to sacrifice some of his own positions uh, to achieve a greater justice for all um, and, and, you know, greater uh, protection of liberty for all. So Tony, let me ask you, since you've done all this work, you got a favorite among the founding fathers? <laughs> Maybe all of them are tied. Well, I, I really, you know, I just, with every book I read, with every document I read, I just continually more and more enamored by, by Washington and his virtue uh, and the way he was continually given power and then surrendered that power back to the republic, back to the civilian government, back to the people uh, in a way that no other leader had done, right? That's why George III repeatedly said, uh, you know, if he surrenders power, he'll be the greatest man in the history of the world. Uh, and he was, right? And, and yeah. it's a, an example we've not seen in the 20th century or from the, yeah. the Napoleons and Hitlers and, and other leaders of the world, right? He's, he's very unique. But, but obviously, I love Madison and Hamilton and, and Jefferson and, and, and other founders as well. So I have two favorites. I can't figure out. Depends on the day of the week which one I like uh, best. Hamilton is one. And I liked Hamilton even before I saw the play. So I'm, okay. I'm, I, that's my disclaimer. It wasn't – even though I did think the play was magnificent – but I liked Hamilton even before that. Um, but the other one who I, lo- I love is Franklin. Because mm-hmm. uh, right. right. he's such an outlier from the rest of them. I mean, he is, I, I, I just think he is great. First of all, he's the only one who made a buck out of the, out of the, <laughs> out of the founding fathers. And I mean, just, just a delight. It just seems to me a complete egotist. And but a funny egotist. I mean, you never got the impression he was mean. He may have been full of himself, but he wasn't. You know, he didn't seem to be a mean guy. But maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I think that's the one guy out of the founders you definitely want to follow on Twitter and would definitely want to sit and have a couple of beers with. Because yeah, he's mm. just uh, just seems like a lot of fun. Like, but maybe and not when man, he, man of the world. But but maybe I wouldn't have wanted to have the beer or the tea when he was sitting naked in his London bathtub <laughs> looking out the window. Maybe not then. That's correct. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, uh, so you know, you talked about the civility peace and and the conversation you know what i'm always a little bit chagrined by that there are so many people who can quote the um the beginning of the declaration of of independence that you know to we declare our independence i'm not sure i can do it i'm sure you can (laughs) and but they they stop there and they get caught up in all of the bill of particulars that is that is there but mm-hmm. i i love and i actually put it in our parish bulletin for this this weekend part of that last paragraph where in furtherance of this I, you're going to correct me okay so correct me <laughs> okay. in furtherance of this declaration with reliance on god we right. mutually pledge 
our lives, our wealth, and our sacred honor. I just think that is so beautiful and just so underemphasized as key to that Declaration of Independence. Right, for sure. Uh, it, two things. One, one is, you know, there are several mentions of God. Uh, right. he's, uh, he's the creator. Right. He's uh, divine providence. So he's kind of like, uh, you know, and then, then he's the supreme judge of the world. So, uh, you know, he kind of represents the, the different branches of government, if you will, uh, and, and the different ways to approach God. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they had a sacred obligation to God and to each other to protect their natural rights and to become independent, to, you know, to fight against the tyranny in, in order to preserve their liberties. And you're right, it was a common purpose. You see that spirit of the common purpose embedded in there, right? We mutually pledge, you know, right. together because of this act of rebellion, uh, you know, they, they could have been hanged as traitors. Uh, and so, you know, they were risking it all together uh, to, uh, to fight for their independence. Uh, and they did. And you know what, again, if I, if I tease this out in light of some of the, you know, very kind of challenging conversations or shouting that we're doing today, if I kind of tease out in my own way, those three items that they pledge, if they mutually pledge their lives, it means to me, my words, not the, the, the declaration, my words means is they're willing to be drafted, to go into the military, to fight, to be part of an army, that they're willing to pledge their lives, which might mean dying in order to bring this about. So that's, that's one incredible commitment and pledge that they are making. The second one, which I find very interesting in the world we're living in, I mean, they basically said, okay, we're going to be taxed our wealth and that it is a, it's a mutual pledge that we're going to be taxed in order to bring this declaration of independence about. I would be willing to bet that 90% of the people who argue about taxes this day, and pardon me, I will use a name, the Norquists of the world, um, they, they don't like, they probably push that part of the Declaration of Independence to the side when they're asking people to sign a new pledge to, um, to, to him. So that's the second issue, the kind of the, um, the taxes, the pledging of wealth. And the third one, honor. Mm-hmm. Our political world today is basically built upon how much I can denigrate, tear down, do ops research, and whether it's true, false, doesn't make any difference. It's just there is no, and they were willing to pledge their honor to each other. And it just, I, I, that's my own little reflection on it, a little bit of my riffing on, on what is my favorite part of the Declaration of Independence. Right. And, and uh, so uh, if I'll riff off of, of your riff, okay. um, you know, I, I, I think, yeah, the first one, I mean, you see that spirit of sacrifice, you know, uh, we were also celebrating and commemorating, you know, the, the Battle of Gettysburg, right? right. Uh, we think about uh, the beaches of Normandy. We think about that 
common purpose where we fought for liberty against tyranny. Uh, and as far as taxes go, you know, I mean, the Constitution formed a more perfect union and it actually strengthened the national government than had existed under the Articles of Confederation and empowered it to do to achieve its ends, right, in, in a very Hamiltonian, Madisonian way. And so, no, I think you're exactly right. And and then the last one, yeah, that, that pledging of honor, right, that, that pledging of your manhood and, and who you are as a person. I mean, again, that, that goes to our, our common purpose as Americans, right, for whatever disagreements we have in different parts of the country, different cultures, different religions, et cetera, et cetera. We're a diverse country for sure, but we're, we're animated and united by an idea, right, and, and by a set of ideals, and, and that's really unlike any country in the history of the world, uh, and so I think that's really what makes us exceptional. So let me, let me ask you right on point to what you currently spend a lot of time doing now. Um, I mean, I'm old and decrepit, and so, <laughs> but you're writing curriculum for the next generation or the generation that is being educated now. How do we get back to political discourse, which is discourse, which is... What are you writing into your curriculum to kind of deal with the, the, the darkness that we're in? What are you trying to teach, uh, teach our young people today so they can do a better job at this? Right. So the Bill of Rights Institute over the last few years, because of what's going on in our society, has had a, a big push. Uh, called Civil Conversations uh, in our student and teacher programs. We've had a big push for a Socratic dialogue uh, in which we, you know, we really force people uh, and, and many times I've, I've sat around these tables with people of many different perspectives and we talked about how to have a constructive conversation, right? Uh, and how to, to listen, really, just to be quiet for a minute and listen and calmly and deliberately you know, engage in a conversation. And sometimes that becomes a debate, but hopefully a civil debate. And, and we can deliberate together. And hopefully at the end of our conversation, we can at least have a better understanding of each other's views, even if we still disagree. Uh, and it goes back to the old phrase, you know, we can ag agree to disagree agreeably. Um, and then, you know, hopefully at the end, maybe, you know, maybe if you're open-minded and you listen to the other guy, he might even make some points that cause you to reevaluate your own views. Yep. Okay. Well, listen, Tony, thank you so much for kind of taking the time to be, to be with us. Um, I'm delighted we had that we're able to have this conversation and uh, you know, I certainly hope that, um, that what your, your, your prescription, which is right on target, more of us can, you know, can do just engage in those civil conversations. And, and uh, we got to do that conversation with people with whom we do disagree. If we only do it among those with whom we agree, we're not advancing any dialogue or any, any uh, openness of understanding. So Tony Williams, thank you for being on Just Love. And more importantly, thank you for the work you're doing and trying to make sure that we do honor one another, that we do pledge our sacred trust to each other and continue this great 
experiment in, in democracy. Thank you for being with us on Just Love, and thank you for the work you do. My pleasure. God bless, and happy Independence Day to everyone. Great. Tony Williams, senior teaching fellow author, the Bill of Rights Institute, wrote the most important book on Hamilton in American biography, eh, and somebody else also wrote a little book on it, too. But we're glad Tony wrote his his book. Uh, thank you for being with us on, on Just Love. We're going to take just a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of sports. We're going to talk about um, one of the great advances that kind of has been made over the past 50 years or so in furthering uh, women in in sports. So when we come back, we will have that conversation. Uh, but before we do, I remind you once more, just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Um, we're going to move on. This is the 50th anniversary, give or take a day or month or whatever, of the 
Title IX advance in which there was a greater emphasis in which um, there had to be a certain equality in the allocation of resources between men and women's sport, I believe, in colleges and universities. Uh, but we're not going to only talk about that. We'll talk more broadly about um, athletics and sports in the world that we, we are in. And I'm delighted that we have as our guest for this, Professor Courtney Flowers, who is the Associate Professor of Sports Studies at Texas Southern University. Uh, I am just delighted that Professor Flowers is has joined us on Just Love. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hey, so, but I have a very, very deep question that I have to ask you to begin. And this has to do with gender issues. Um, can female athletes be jocks? <laughs> That's an awesome way to start it off. Um, <laughs> it's, it's how you define jocks. We definitely have a lot of women athletes that will go hard for the sport. <laughs> okay. okay. I just figured, you know, we might as well get to the real deep questions. First. I love that introduction. <laughs> yeah, so I have a follow-up question, which is is a little bit more serious, but so I got to know, just tell me, what is the Big Ten doing letting in UCLA and USC? What's going on in the world? You know what? It's it's a lot going on. And I'll be honest, I can't speak specifically to what's going on that way. <laughs> All I can say is there's a lot of change, especially yeah. today, huh? A lot of change. Well, I mean, you know, the Big Ten, no. Nah. They, they, those guys are supposed to be a part of Pac-10. I mean, they're not supposed to be part of the Big Ten. So I don't know. I don't know. But but listen, you're you you're one of those smart people. You got a PhD. You're an associate professor, and you're also a sports person. So I mean, you got it all. I mean, going going on. So and and that you took the time to spend 15 minutes or so with us on Just Love. Hey, I'm really grateful. So thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, for doing that. I really appreciate, I appreciate it. the invite. Uh, so how'd you get um, now? I know you you you're a golfer, right? I am. So what do they call a wannabe golfer? Uh, Courtney Flowers right now. No, they call <laughs> they call they call him a caddy. And that's that what I want to I'm going to take that title. I haven't been out on the course in years. So uh, I definitely can classify myself yeah. as a wannabe golfer right now. But I, I so I, that was my high school job. I was a caddy. I love it. I yeah. love it. I, I was, you know, and I just it was great. I loved it. It was a great job. I uh, loved doing it. I still I don't play golf, but I periodically do go out and hit the golf ball. So <laughs> Well, and I heard the best way to learn the game is through being a caddy. It is. It, it is because, yeah, you see what everybody's doing wrong when you when you're looking. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go. Let's go on these things. We're, for our listeners, uh, this year we're marking the 50th anniversary of Title IX, um, and so tell tell our listeners what Title IX is and why it's uh, important. Great question. It's actually just 37 words. But in the 37 words, it basically says that things have to be equitable. You have to have fair and equitable practices, programs, 
for men and women. One of the complexities of the laws, everyone thinks that it's synonymously linked to athletics and sports. And in those 37 words, we don't see or have anything that's directly related to sports or athletics. Now, we shake hands with Title IX as being a part, a huge vital component of the educational system, meaning just like your science clubs, just like your debate clubs, we also have to follow Title IX regulations. Ah, so maybe, I mean, so you just made me smarter because I didn't know that, but might it have been, might it have been why it got, quote unquote, the sports label is because sports may have been one of the most visible areas in which there was that misallocation, probably in some other areas like essay contests and some of that, maybe it wasn't as there, but maybe because sports is get such publicity maybe that's why it it uh was we think about it that way yeah you know we visibly see our student athletes to the point that they become the brand of these universities we know our quarterbacks we know who our guards are on the women's basketball team um and so because of that when things go wrong with laws or regulations with the school even scholarships we typically know that who it aligns to, unlike your science clubs and debate clubs. And I can't argue that I was on a debate club too in high school, but nobody knew my name. <laughs> and so just that marketability, that visibility, um, that celebrity status, if we take it and become a little controversial, um, we typically know it. I would go as far as also to say the cases that are surrounding Title IX, even the ones that aren't based in athletics, that we've seen come up lately still shake hands with athletics in some way, somehow. And so that's another reason why Title IX has been synonymously linked to sports and athletics. So how would you judge it? Has it has it been positive for women in sports? Undoubtedly. It's, it's not even debatable. Okay. Um, when we look before 1970 for women's sports, I can argue that it was recreation. Now, granted, we had a lot of organizations that were deeply embedded in making women's sports great, but they just hadn't did enough to where we are now. I mean, we're talking about a couple hundred thousand participation rate for high school and college versus the millions, you know, which is where we're at now. So we can't argue that Title IX has definitely opened the doors, not only for sports participation, but for careers as well, leadership positions. Now, as quickly as I say that, I just co-authored a report with the Women's Sports Foundation, and we titled it Title IX at 50. We're not done yet. (laughs) Okay. We still have a ways to go. We're still lagging in sports opportunities and participation rates for women of color, girls of color, disability, religion. Uh, We are still lagging greatly behind men overall with sports participation numbers. The one fact, I love giving people where they're like, you're kidding me. We still, to this day, we're in 2022. We still, as women, have not reached or ever surpassed or come close to men's participation numbers in college sports. We're nowhere near. Say that one again. Yeah, we, as women, still have not reached or surpassed men's sports participation numbers yet. So we still have a ways to go. <laughs> uh, 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 let me tease this out. And I, I, I accept that as, as being true. Let me go, as I oftentimes say to, say to kind of smart guests on this, I play, I play the four-year-old. 
okay, why, 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 why haven't we? Good question. Um, I'll be honest. If I could answer that, I would probably be the most researcher. You'd be at least be a full professor, <laughs> not really no an associate. To it. <laughs> uh, there's truly no pinpoint to it. Some of the things that researchers have said is the miseducation of Title IX itself. We have a law that's out there that, granted, only has 37 words, but the Department of Education, who basically is the facilitator of it, and Office of Civil Rights, who is basically compliance of it, had to put out all these different documents for athletic administrators to figure out how to use it. So the Dear Colleague letter, which that's called, they were probably like eight, nine, or 10 just trying to figure out how to facilitate this and even me I mean this is probably like my 20th year really being embedded in title nine I still don't understand every single nuance of it and so understanding someone who researches it constantly and they don't get it imagine that athletic administrator who's trying to facilitate it to balance equity in college sports is next to impossible so you know it's interesting I I always kind of like to you know, dive a little bit deeper, you know, and in us, in our trying to be a society which is more um, equitable, inclusive, all of those positive things. I, I sometimes say, well, like if they say, well, there's only 13% of a certain group that's doing this. And I say, well, what's the total percentage of that group in the population? And they say 6%. So I say, well, aren't they doing twice as good? Well, yeah, but they're not doing 50%. So that's why I tease it, try to tease it. But what I'm going to say to you is a little bit in the other direction. What we've noticed over the past 20, 25 years, when it came first to law school, the number of women admissions caught up And I think it was probably at least 10 years ago that there were more women entering law schools in the United States than men. And I think it was just like two or three years ago that the number of women entering business schools caught up and exceeded the number of men. So it seems in other areas of higher education, there's a movement but you're saying there's still a ways to go in the athletic area. There, there is. Yeah. One of the things that I've well, let me ask, Let me ask you a devil's yeah. advocate question. Yeah, sure. Okay. So the devil's advocate question is, well, maybe they just don't want to play sports. Ah, uh, I love that. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> that a lot, especially in golf. And I, I know we're going to probably travel down that rabbit hole. Well, but, but let, let me, I'm going to interrupt you for a moment yeah. because- this whole inclusion, prejudice, bias, et cetera, I think shows itself up in women's golf. Let me tell no, you how. Definitely. I'll tell you how. I love women's golf better than watching men's golf because it looks more like the game that I want to play. <laughs> men's golf, there's no way I can do it. But women's golf, okay, they're hitting a they're hitting a seven iron and I'm hitting a five iron, but it's not like they're hitting a gap wedge and I'm hitting a three wood when I watch the men. But anyway, but, but, but what I'm going to point out is 
The reason why a number of years ago, it's gotten a little better, but not much, why I think the LPGA tour got less and less television time was because they couldn't attract advertisers because all the winners were Korean. Mm -hmm. And the American market wanted to see Americans there. So it... This whole issue of how we, how ethnic, racial, gender disparities is so complex. So that's why I asked you a little bit of the question. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the women just don't want to play sports. Well, that's that's definitely not the issue. I think okay. we have to do a better job of providing opportunities. I'm going to use high school sports. Okay. Um, one of the things that I found out recently is one of the main sports that's receiving an increase of participation of young girls across the board, uh, race, economics, everything across the board is flag football. And so I think we have to really step outside the box and we have to start talking and seeing what opportunities are there, um, what girls want to play. I think it's very unique that high school sports was like, hey, we're going to reach out to the NFL and we're going to do some partnerships to try to bring this in to kind of bring up, breathe a breath of fresh air yeah. into sports. And I think we have to do that. I think we have to expand past what we're currently offering. So what would you give, give August a little bit of sense if, if we made you the commissioner of all this, what would be two or three things that you would like to see us do to further the opportunities and the access um, of women in sports? The first thing I'm doing is I'm bringing everybody to the table. Okay. I think one of the big issues that we have is that we have a small room of the same people speaking the same language, creating the same opportunities. And I think we need to shake that up. I think we need to bring our student athletes to the table. We need to bring our high schoolers to the table and they don't all need to look the same. Right. We need different religions. We need different races, different sexualities, different right. abilities. So everybody has a voice. I think all too often we're in these spaces and we have way too many people who aren't interacting with a certain demographic and making these big decisions. Right. I think we have to know what the challenges are that these young girls are facing that stops them or prevents them from playing sports. What I'm finding now, diving into research of high school um, girls and looking at women of color and seeing what's preventing them from playing college sports, I'm finding everything from lack of opportunities due to drop physical education programs. I'm looking at lack of funding. I'm looking at things of even like identity, hair, um, even having that whole idea of being a high schooler and being self-conscious about body image. All of these key factors are coming into play. And I don't think if we don't look at it holistically, we won't be able to solve these issues. You know, I think, you know, one of the things I, you, you, what you said just so resonated with, with me when dealing with a situation, um, I oftentimes say to people is, well, it seems to me that there are like these five people who have something to say about it, put them in a room. And let's see if we do. And and with a little bit of New York cynicism, what I say is, hey, I don't care what they come up. They can even agree on the lie. But as long as they all agree on what the lie is, then we can go forward. And that's the reality that we're going to deal with if we all if we all agree on it. So I think you're and again, I mean, 
you probably have been in a number of situations. I've been in situations where they made decisions about things we maybe knew something about. They didn't invite us to the table because they didn't want to hear what we had to say. Exactly. They wanted to keep it the same. So let me ask you kind of a fun question, uh, if you can. So is there anybody who is a bold letter woman's athlete today who either she herself or you know probably is the result of the fact that Title IX came to be and she had an opportunity that she may not have had? if it weren't for Title IX. Are there any, any people you can name that maybe fall into that category? I think pretty much everybody. Really? In, in, I mean, you could, you could argue in it. And I mean, that's even for men's sports too, um, yeah. because we often just look at women's sports and say, Title IX's open this opportunity, but we've also seen those numbers increase in sports we brought back, you know, right. because of Title IX as well. Um, I think for some of them, it's more direct versus indirect. For myself, I know I was directly impacted by Title IX going into college. I was right there in the the early 90s where Title IX was making its changes. The universities had to no longer have the athletic dorms. We no longer had to have the specific things for just, uh, you know, one big sport golf. Before I got to my college, we were just, it was just golf. It wasn't men's and women's golf. My first year, it was a men's team and a women's team. So I'm a direct impact. Of Title IX. And so I think um, for everyone, not just women, it's, yeah. it's direct. Some people, again, it's more direct versus indirect. Good. So listen, um, thank you so much for the generosity with your, with your time. Is there one final thing that you'd like our listeners to be aware of or to know before I let you go? Yeah. One of the things that I really, really want to advocate for is support women's sports, Um, really get into it, find a sport that you like and financially, visually advocate on social media for women's sports. Um, We're definitely in a space where we need more advocates. We need more fans um, for our teams. Um, It could be the smallest thing from your community. Uh, If you have a a girls lacrosse team, like my daughter's on, Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a girls softball team, you know, go out and see if you can volunteer and get to know a little bit more about women's sports. Good idea. It's, it's, it's uh, wonderful. Hey, Professor Courtney Flowers, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us on Just Love and please have a great uh, 4th of July weekend. Thank you. You too. I appreciate the invite. Great. Professor Courtney Flowers, Associate Professor of Sports Studies at Texas Southern University, uh, claiming to be a wannabe golfer and (laughs) has done a lot of work and research on uh, Title IX of the federal civil rights law. Um, Tom, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic values. As we approach the 4th of July weekend, as we're in the middle of this kind of mocking of, I believe it's the 246th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, um, this is a pretty dark time for our nation in terms of all of the divisiveness that is part of us. The diversity is wonderful. The differences of opinion is great. The diversity of gender and class and, and um, race makes us, I believe, a great nation. The anger that we are showing against one another, the intolerance that we are showing against each other, the extremism, which is manifested itself in so many different places, does not foster the dignity of the human person, nor the common good of the nation. This past week, there have been a number of decisions of the Supreme Court, which test our ability to live in a civil society because they deal with so many different issues in which people have very passionate feelings. Obviously, the decision on abortion is at the top of that list. But the decisions on climate, the decisions on guns, the decisions on immigration are also ones that affect very important Catholic values. And so as we kind of enter into this week, we need to recommit ourselves, I believe, as Catholics to that common good in the civil dialogue, a respectful treating of those who may have very different opinions, and even as we hold fast to our own deeply held beliefs, it doesn't give us the right, and in fact, our Catholic beliefs insist that we treat those with whom we disagree with respect and with dignity, even if at times they do not treat us in that same way. Have a very blessed Independence Day weekend. Let us continue to pledge mutually our lives, our sacred honor to one another in this great nation. Thank you for being with us on Just Love. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 